So she was covered top to toe mm. in Vegemite, wanting to hold the cup. I had visions of the shake, you know, picking up the coffee. Going, going, What's that black tar? What are those little fingerprints yeah. on, on my cup? The Liberal theme is Get Back in Control. However, if you Google getbackincontrol.com and leave off the AU, you will go to a very detailed um, incontinence site. So... <laughs> Just be careful on that point. That is plastered all over Matthew Guy, the Liberal leader's campaign bus, get back in control. And then there are the hardened women folk, as there always are in these cattle properties, Ilsa, who's Cameron's widow, and Liz, the matriarch, the mother, who suffered a lifetime of hardship until her husband died a few years earlier. This book has it all. Anna, you will love it. The only hiccup, for me anyway, is the cooking in front of guests after a couple of convivials. You have to sort of put down the champagne glass and think, right, fish. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, episode 60. I'm Corey Perkin and sadly, once again, flying solo without my co-pods to Caroline Wilson, who is actually not on holiday this time. Surprise, surprise. How unusual, but she is instead winging her way to Sydney where she will be delivering the very prestigious Andrew Ollie Lecture. Sad not to have Caro, but thrilled to have two guests with us, back by popular demand, Anna Barry, our Anna from the Op Shop, and Brendan Donoghue, Caro's husband, who is not in Sydney, but he's on the campaign trail with the Victorian state election. Hello, both. G'day. G'day. Nice to have you. You too. Oh, well, I'm always here. Glad someone I, turned up. <laughs> I never go anywhere. What's with your missus? Oh, she's been busy lately, but yeah, it's um, it's a great honour to do the Andrew Ollie uh, lecture, and let's hope she does a good job. She's a bit nervous. But she's well, written, I can imagine. Does, it, does it anybody actually go, or do they just record I know it? they have a big black tie dinner. Oh. Yeah, there's a big foundation, and her mother's going up. In you're, place you're of not? me, I can't go now. I've got the state election on, and I have to earn a living still, so I'm staying in Melbourne. Well, we're going to talk about the state election. I hope we don't bore the pants off interstate and international potties, but more general uh, political talk you may find interesting. Anna is going to tell us about some more op shop stories. No bones of human beings being handed in this week, Anna? Dem bones have been very quiet. No (laughs) bones. Well, we'll look forward to some stories there. A couple of housekeeping issues. Firstly, don't forget uh, the wonderful supporters of our podcast, The Gang at the Interchange Bench. They are teaming together with Caro and myself and Anna. I think we're, um, we're bringing you in as one of our guests. Uh, we're having a lunch, a Don't Shoot the Messenger lunch, at the Flying Duck Hotel in Paran to host the inaugural lunch. Uh, uh, we will be there on Wednesday, November the 28th. For tickets, head online to trybooking.com and search for the Don't Shoot the Messenger uh, logo or uh, link and you'll get to the booking pages and of course we'll have all the links and details to our lunch in the show notes and every single cent that we raise for that lunch is going to Breast Cancer Network Australia so we're very excited. We've had a couple of very nice messages from Potties. Carmel Bateman said, love listening to Greg Miles' fascinating account of his career. That was last week's show. Uh, at the ABC race calling over 30 plus years. Congrats to Corey and Caro for an insightful interview. But our tweet of the week, this is hilarious, has to go to our potty Bindi Turner who said, so I've just realised my hashtag podcast app was set to run at one and a half speed (laughs) for the whole time I've used it. I thought I was just not smart enough to keep up with free economics and too poor at multitasking to embrace the books, politics of food of Don't Shoot Pod and Chat 10 Looks 3, which is a free economics, of course, is a podcast that Miss Jane absolutely adores. But she must have been listening. Jane, really, can you just tell us what happens? Well, I mean, I've done it myself. And in fact, Caro's mum, Julia, has come in and said yes. you were talking very slow last night. You can. Some people like listening to podcasts really quickly. So they will speed it up, especially if it's something they need to get through for work or... Don't we sound like chipmunks? Yes. Yes. <laughs> You could do it by a fraction and it just helps things to move along. But, yeah, if check your settings, people. I so do we get, should be on one, shouldn't we? You should be on one for normal speed. <laughs> or like Jewel, who just was, you know, thought Carol and I were on drugs. Uh, and we've also had a bit of correspondence from Jeff Slattery, our friend of the pod, in relation to germ of a garlic, Jane, um, which I, I discussed in the meatballs recipe last week. And you, he said, Miss Jane was right. It is the stem or sprout through the middle of the garlic, which when the garlic is getting on, it sprouts a green shoot. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Anna, do you have any garlic 
messages there? No, but when I heard that, I remembered my former French brother-in-law always saying the French never use it. They always cut out the green bit. I always use it personally, but... I keep, well, <laughs> Could you be bothered digging it out? It's way too hard. Well, we would we, clearly Caroline and I never do because no. we both looked at each other as I was reading the recipe. She then had a had a crack at me for not cooking the recipe before I came on, but it was a very good recipe. Anyway. You hadn't road tested it. I hadn't road tested it, but I've had a couple of um, podsters saying that they love a good meatball recipe, so mm. they're going to that book. Now, on to the Victorian state election, Brendan, and I know that you have to leave us because you're on the campaign trail today. I am. Uh, so while we have you, let's talk about it. What are the three biggest issues for voters? And really, should Anna and I be, and Jane be starting to get engaged or just um, well, rock, yeah, rock up on the Saturday nah. and vote? <laughs> well, it's, all, it's always subjective. What are the three major issues? But I suppose the, the, the two themes are delivering for all Victorians. That's a Labor theme, basically projects and the government's record and projects, and the Liberal theme is get back in control. That's more skewed at law and order and population growth and congestion. However, if you Google getbackincontrol.com and leave off the AU, you will go to a very detailed um, incontinence site. So <laughs> just be careful on that point. That is plastered all over Matthew Guy, the Liberal leader's campaign bus, getbackincontrol.com, but it's .au, .au. And I can report... Brandon, can I just... Hang on, hang on. I can report I was on the campaign bus, the Liberal campaign bus on Monday. They do have an in-house rest room or a toilet, <laughs> the men and women, but the Labor bus doesn't, which is uh, logistically it's pr- problematic for some people. So the, 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 the Labor bus stops if, more. If you've got incontinence <laughs> and you're covering the Labor Well, that's maybe why they've got the restroom on the bus. But anyway, that's just um, a quirk, you know, when you the advanced people are supposed to check all these things. But yeah. Backincontrol.com goes to an incontinence okay, site. Okay, so Brendan, there's a, there are advisors being paid 150k a year. Did no one think, let's just look up? I don't know. It's the first thing let's we did was uh, look it up and um, to see whether there are any companies or any themes or memes or that sort of thing. And that's what popped up straight away. So that, look, that was a bit of fun. But I mean, part <laughs> of the fun of the election campaign is things, unintended consequences. We went to Ballarat with Matthew Guy, the Liberal leader, on Monday. Um, they parked the bus, he walked around the corner, went into a lovely bakery, everyone bought a chicken sandwich or a pastry, and he sat down, but he sat down under a veranda. On the top of the veranda was this 10-metre vote ALP sign. <laughs> so if you went onto the road and looked up, he couldn't see it. He was underneath the veranda, those beautiful Ballarat verandas. So the advanced person obviously hadn't done a 360 scan of the area. They'd been under the veranda and thought, this is a great shop. It's got no vote greens, no vote labour on it. But <laughs> up above on the veranda, there was a whopping sign. So that, that's part of the fun of the, the campaign. On a serious note, the issues are sort of livability, congestion, public transport. They all roll into one. Health is always an enormous issue. Education's been really quiet, but law and order um, peaks and peaks and troughs, of course, um, depending on what's going on out there. And a lot of young people are really interested in the environment and energy policy and the future of coal and renewable energy. So it really is where you're coming from, what's, what's your... And some people want to save puppies. I mean, you know, there's a, a plethora of save puppies from puppy farms, that sort of thing. So there's a plethora of issues out there. Um, the not, not, not that saving puppies from puppy farms well, shouldn't be Well, puppy farms have been banned in Victoria. Oh, yeah, but I would not – I don't think I would go into the polling booth. Oh, there's an animal justice party and oh, they, po- they poll 2 to 3% oh, in some seats. So a lot of people are passionate. You don't we can vote touch up. people's animals. I'll tell you, you ought to abuse animals. Who knew? So animal and children. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of issues out there. I mean, last night the Premier of Victoria, Daniel Andrews, was on Channel 31 for an hour on the fishing show with Dave Kramer and today – I think I understand he's going down to Mordialic to announce a big fishing ramp or fishing policy. So there, there's issues all over the place you have to cover, from golf to fishing, aardvarks to uh, zoology. Well, look, I must say I'm not terribly engaged, although your goddaughter, uh, my Coco, she she had a sleepover at our place last night and walked in and said, those effing trains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, when would, trains would... don't work, they're terrible. And, and when a train takes you past your station, as it happens with me every now and then, you don't like it. Um, and they're very crowded in the morning. And, in fact, we went yesterday to Newport, to Downer Engineering, where they've got these new high-capacity or longer trains coming in. They're 160 metres long. They're seven carriages, not six. They've ordered 65 of them. The shells are made in China, but they're assembled here. The bits and pieces are put on bibs and bobs here in Newport. 
and they'll start running on the Cranbourne Packet and Lime next year, though. So there is relief coming, but at the moment, yeah, it can be very tight in the morning. You have a very interesting day on the campaign trail going there to Newport to see well, trains we're, being... we were in Morwell before that doing electric vehicles. Uh, the government's given a secret grant to a company called SEA, S-E-A Electric, to basically assemble... Uh, minivans and delivery vans, electric minivans and and minibuses down at Morwell to help the Morwell community, which has been hard hit in terms of jobs. Anna, what are the the key, is there a key issue or what are the key issues for you in in the Barry household? Look, to be perfectly frank, I haven't been that engaged in the election process so far. I watched the launches on Sunday and that's about it. I don't know that the Barrys have any key issues when you know, we're not jumping up. You're and not down. saving puppy farms, or I wish we were. We're not. We're just obviously we'd like our bills to be less. Obviously, we're like better public transport, all the the normal stuff, but nothing actually. You know. And what about leadership? Is there one leader? If we're looking at personality politics, Anna, is there one leader who who is a rock star in your eyes? Absolutely not. I find them both really bland. I know you're probably not meant to say that, but a lovely liberal lady knocked on my door on Sunday, got me from the end of my fabulous book, so I was already cranky, and asked me about Matthew Guy, so I just gave her the complete spray. <laughs> just said, you know, you probably think I vote Liberal, but I'm not happy with him. And so leave my house now so I can yes. get back to my book. so I can finish the final pages of transcription, exactly. So, yeah. Not Brendan, how, how are the leaders performing? Oh, they both had their campaigns on, on uh, Sunday, and coincidentally, they were at, literally at the same time, one at um, Ivanhoe at a lovely Art Deco Theatre for Matthew Guy and Labor's was out at Monash in a more sort of an 80s uh, theatre sort of uh, context. Um, Labor went on the theme of um, health, promising $1.38 billion for hospitals, paramedics, uh, nurses and specialist appointments. And Matthew Guy went on um, reducing regional payroll tax to 1%. Riveting. Uh, which is, well, that's good for, for regional employers. I know, but am I going to vote for I mean, the age, of that? The, the Hang age, on, think age. of Francesca and Charlie I'm and Ballarat. Right, it, could, it could have positives in my family. Well, the, <laughs> the age publishers in Ballarat, I understand. So if they had any brains, they would, um, they'd create a Ballarat printing company and they'd, they'd get 1% payroll. And also $295 off your rego if you're a red P-plate driver. So for mostly young people, um, there's a carrot there being dangled for them. Um, there's lots of signs saying jail the gangs, cost of living, uh, that sort of get back in control, .com.au. The Victorian Labor one was, was, now. Vote yeah, for Matthew Guy. was all about um, uh, delivering for Victorians, which has been their theme, and that's what the red Labor bus is plastered with, is uh, delivering for Victorians, free TAFE, solar panels, subsidised, that sort of thing. I just, I just want, um, as Anna said, I just want my bills, my mm-hmm. utility bills, to be less. Well, good luck at that. I mean, the system was basically privatised in the nineties in Victoria. We used <laughs> to have the SEC and the gas and fuel, and we had very low costs. And history shows that the private sector, um, when let loose in an essential area, this is what happens. And now they're all trying to unscramble the egg, but they can't. No, the federal no. government's trying, the state government's trying. Basically, they can't. They've got generation and distribution and then the retail, just the billers, all privately owned. So on election night, because I do love watching an election night, even Victorian State Parliament, and I guess we'll have Anthony Green on the ABC coming down to do it again. What uh, electorates should I be keeping my eyes on? Well, look at um, obviously Frankston. Well, Prane is the most marginal. It's held by the Liberal Party. The crossover last time the Labor Party um, candidate, Neil Farrow, dropped out was 31 votes. So if 16 people changed their mind there, we would have had a Labor MP in Paran, that's the most marginal seat, but the Greens hold that at the moment. Frankston is a couple of hundred votes. That's held by Labor. So that sand belt is terribly important. That's where Labor won the election last time. So uh, Frankston, Karam, Mordialik. And there's a couple of Liberal-held seats that Labor is very confident of taking back, including Bass down Cranbourne, Phillip Island Way, and South Barwon, which is just south of Geelong, both of which have... um, had huge um, enrolment. So some of these seats have gone right out of kilter. They used to be roughly 30,000 voters per seat, so you had this one vote, one value sort of concept. Now some seats are at 45, 47,000 voters, whereas the older established suburbs and seats are at 28, 30,000. So your vote in Malvern is worth more than your vote out at Pakenham and Cranbourne. Carol and I were talking last week about the return of sea change, and we were talking about how that area in the last 20 years has really taken off. If you drive down to Barwon Heads or Ocean Grove, that that 
kind of what you used to call out of Geelong. It's Arms, just got bigger and bigger. Yeah, Armstrong's Creek. I mean, they need, they need to put, obviously, a train line down there. The the Liberal leader, Matthew Guy, was down there promising a $10 million aquatic centre, which I think is a pool for um, Torquay. Um, well, and they the had big signs saying, build the pool and we, we will come and swim in it, which was cute. Um, yeah, but they're basically suburbs of Melbourne now. A lot of people mm. do commute. That's why the Geelong train is such an important issue, the speed of that train currently takes 58 minutes to go from Geelong to Melbourne. It's about 65k on the road. It's about 73k via the track because it goes out wider. Liberals have promised to bring it down to 32 minutes. Now, a lot of people just don't believe that. Um, Including have, me. I mean, um, you'd have to have there goes Lara. <laughs> and not stop and not stop anywhere. You yanks gone. Anyway, that, that, that's a big issue down there. But you're right, the suburbs are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, it will be an interesting election, I think, because of those um, the, those changing seats, as you say. Paran is so interesting, flipping and flopping which way it goes, because it used to be such a working-class suburb be, 30 years ago. It used ago. to be Labor, then it went Liberal. So it, often it goes with government, but now it's got the Green member. So whether Sam Hibbins can hold on, it's going to be fascinating. But that too, it's such a churn in the seat, and so many new apartments have gone up. And there's so many, well, students, but a lot of young people. So the young people normally skewed towards left of centre. Mm. So they'll either go green or labour, I'd imagine. And just finally, Brendan, are you picking up uh, any fallout from what's been happening federally, particularly with oh, the Liberal to- Party? Totally. So ScoMo, the Prime Minister, was um, down Geelong and the Twelve Apostles for an announcement during the week, but not. What, not, are we going to build on them? But or? not with Matthew Guy. No, basically, it's a good policy to have better tourist facilities, better dunnies, in other words, just to get back in control of those sort of issues. They are under resource for all uh, these tourists. Obviously. Last time I went to the Apostles, I thought the toilets were I thought, okay. Well, they're going to, they're going to put a bit oh, more money in. But Matthew Guy was in Ballarat, more. so ScoMo was in. Why is um, the Prime Minister coming down to talk about toilets? But he was with mainly federal, uh, federal MPs. So there was this talk about why aren't you campaigning with Matthew Guy? Why weren't you at the launch of the Liberal Party campaign? He said he was at the closure of the Invictus Games. Fair enough. But Greg Hunt, Kelly O'Dwyer and I think Alan Tudge, three other federal Liberals, weren't at the state Liberal launch. And that was oh. interesting as well. What does so that say? Matthew Guy is, well, the, 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 the Liberal vote is being dragged down by the federal Muppet show in Canberra. That's well known. So the Muppets have decided to stay away. Yeah, and there was a shocking news poll for the Liberal Party came out. Uh, news poll, uh, Labor is leading 54 to 46 on the two-party preferred vote. And Ma- Matthew Guy is only on 29% preferred Premier to Daniel Andrews, 45. So if, mm. if uh, Labor gets in, which the polls suggest they will, what will happen to Matthew Guy as leader? Do you think he'll be rolled? Very hard, yeah. Well, it's very hard to hold on when you've um, you've led the party for uh, a full term and lost an election. History shows you do get the uh, the Kyber Pass, which is code for something. Um, so bottom talk again. It, it, Anna. It, it, I know it, it's not not it's not necessary that it happens, but that's what normally happens. Well, we'll watch it with interest. What's the date again? November twenty fourth, Saturday. But early voting, early voting is huge. This is a massive trend. It starts. November 12, so pretty pretty soon, and um, a lot of people virtually, they reckon in the mid to high 40s percent, would have voted before November 24. So the day of the mass vote and the sausage sizzle and the huge lines and the bunting, they're basically gone. There'll be a lot quieter no. day on the Saturday. Anna, don't we, lo- we love our sausage sizzle at the local Oh, You'll school. still get sausages. There won't be as many sausages. But does that mean people have already made up their mind it doesn't matter what politicians say because they're voting two weeks exactly. out? Exactly, and it means that if you've so, got, got the campaign proper, which started at 6 p.m. on Tuesday when they went to the caretaker mode, um, you've really got to get your um, campaign policies out early. Now. Yeah, and not wait wait for the last week yeah. or last two weeks. A lot of people already voted. Yeah. You might have if, a third what, of people might have voted by, say, November 18. And what yeah. if there's a big stuff up in the last week? You can't take your vote back. You can't, yeah. Brendan. You can't take your vote back. Remember that, potties? <laughs> I'd be voting on the Saturday. <laughs> leave it to the last minute. I always leave it. Well, I love the sausage sizzle. It's lining up at the old primary school in the old yeah. hall. And no. in future, they're banning the plastic bunting as well. Oh, oh what? They're going the Tasmanian model, yeah. Because there's God's so many sake. S fights between the parties when they get there the day before to set up, and people come and rip down the bunting. And oh, then I they... thought you meant because they were made of plastic. Yeah. No, there's, well, there's that too, the environmental issue. But no, the bunting bunting wars will be will be bunting. finished. What I between don't think it happens the this time parties? Or maybe next time around? Yeah, yeah, there'll be no bunting within like 400 meters. So when you mean bunting, you mean all the big plastic signs, like signs. Yeah, so, so often the, the greens will get there and, and they'll take the whole fence. And then the Labor will turn up and rip down the green signs when they're not watching and put up theirs. And then the Liberals will turn up and go, 
where can we put ours? Yes, we have in, we <laughs> have incontinence issues. And it creates terrible, no, it creates terrible um, issues and angst for the poor old scrutineers from the Victorian Electoral Commission who are often brought in on piecemeal basis every four years to run a booth. And this, you know, the poor bloke in the cardigan who's normally, you know, <laughs> a bean counter at a used car well, lot or something. Your mother-in-law used to do that sort of a job, didn't she, doing handout? I think she might have been handing out for a party, not working at the VEC. My daughter um, worked for uh, the VEC, the Victorian Electoral Commission, did a booth last year. Uh, sorry, the federal election, last federal election. She said it was fascinating, particularly what people draw on the um, ballot papers. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What? Your, oh, my God. Your dictation and, you know, Jonah <laughs> you pretty sort close. of situation. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that, there's a lot, of, lot of messages sent and some very good drawings too, some very good artists. Oh, I'm pleased to hear. Cool. Uh, what is not happening in the US next week is uh, el- people who have to vote compulsorily because, of course, in the US you don't have to. And as we know, the midterms are coming up. This is going to be really interesting for all of us, I think, Anna and Brendan, because there's this whole climate of politics of fear and politics of hate in Donald Trump's America. And the Democrats are really, I've never seen a party so galvanised in getting people out and voting. But I just wondered whether the politics of hate that we see and the language of hate that we see developing over there, Brendan, whether it's coming to Australia, do you think? Perhaps not so much to the Victorian state election, but it's sort of okay to say these terrible things about minority groups, about um, migrants. Yeah, uh, in, the, in their case, you know, they're, they're racist, ra- racial, racist comments. Yeah, we're a lucky country because we don't have the gun culture. That's, that's the first point. The second one is there's always a massive dilemma between uh, free speech and hate speech. Where do you draw the line? Right a person to say something and the right a person to offend someone. And um, where do you draw the line in terms of offence? And then there's the the humour problem as well. So we do live in the lucky country in Australia. We we don't have um, pipe bombs generally um, sent to politicians or people in the media. And um, while I can get a bit willing, and we've had only a couple of little shootings over the years I can recall, um, we basically don't go down that that sort of real sort of white hot knuckle hate. Look, the the shootings uh, in the synagogue on the weekend in Pittsburgh were absolutely terrible, and there are very definite links have been established between the shooter and his uh, involvement in Trump rallies that came out today. What I was kind of more concerned about were these were these um, pipe bombs travelling around, maybe sixteen, I think, in total. But particularly going to CNN offices. Mm. If you can recall our old days in newspaper offices and media organisations, I know things have changed now. But there used to be no security. There oh, used anyone to be could an walk, eighty-year-old, anyone could walk lovely in. chap on the door saying, "Oh yes, go through." <laughs> yeah, but no, what, any, what, anyone could walk in. What, as a sort of journal or former journal, I just I feel I found. President Trump's response in the weekend saying the media is the enemy of the people. I just thought that was just so inflammatory. Yeah, well, that's been a standard tactic of uh, Donald Trump, and you could argue that it's worked for him. So he knows that who's going to expose bad things he does is, is going to be the media. So what he does is uh, attacks the, um, the messenger, shoots the messenger. That's what happens. Uh, security around media companies is enormous now. I know after the Lint uh, Cafe siege in um, Sydney. Um, security at Channel 7 all around Australia is uh, really tight now in terms of um, getting in and out of the building. Um, and co- uh, police often do come down and, and scope the area out, particularly if there's an event or a protest or anything going on nearby. But um, as I said, we just we, we don't have the level of hate. And I suppose it's because, I mean, someone once said to me, a wise young woman actually said the difference between the Labor Party and the Liberal Party in Australia is about $20. So you can maybe make that $30 these days. So there is not a massive difference between our two big political parties. You try to explain it to a visitor about the Liberal Party, the true Liberal Party, small L Liberal Party, what they stand for, as distinct from the conservative side. And then the the true Labor Party, sort of like the middle to right of it, what it stands for, well, there's, there's not a massive difference. They although, dis- although Tony Abbott and Peter Dutton are trying to change that. Well, that's why the Liberal Party's being torn torn apart. It's been tugged all, tugged all over the place, and the small L's and the big L's and the Conservatives and that sort of thing, they've been going hammer and tongs at each other, and, and they can't sort it out. And that's why, as, and as Scott Morrison said, the people don't like the Muppet show in Canberra, and that, that vote's dragging down the Liberal vote all around um, all around Australia. Well, getting back to the US, it's uh, next Tuesday, which will be Wednesday our time. I actually have a couple of customers who are so obsessed by American politics, Anna, they're going to be staying at home to watch it as it unfolds. What are your thoughts? Have you got a bit of a Trump 
Uh, my thoughts, tirade? Not so much a tirade because I don't do much Trump because I'm just so completely appalled by him that I was saying to Jane before, when he comes on the television news, it sort of signals my time to turn the oven on and not put my head in it, but, you know, crank out the vegetables. Obviously, this US midterm election will be like no other American election before it because it seems to be to be almost like a referendum on Trump himself. Like you'll either be it'll be a protest vote or a vote of support. And if he get and if he gets so, the vote, God help us all. Exactly. I was I was reading, there goes the Mueller inquiry. You know, Supreme oh, Court bench. Everything will be up for renewal. I know. The wall. I mean, it's pretty frightening. We know that you have to hit the trail, Brendan. So we might. Just, I want to talk to Anna about op shop issues, which I'm sure you'd love to as well, but you have a state election to cover. (laughs) I believe you have a crush of the week. I do. uh, Before you tell us what it is, I'd like to just mention our sponsor of our program and particularly the crush of the week segment, the Interchange Bench. Get back on top of work with first class staff. Visit interchangebench.com.au. Who's your crush? My crush of the week is the the advertising agency behind the federal government ad about uh, respect that's on television at the moment. Um, the dad picks up the uh, teenage kid who's been held in detention for flicking up a girl's skirt and the younger brother says, uh, you know, that's what boys do. And then the little girl who's about eight or nine goes, oh, yeah, I fully expect to be harassed and even abused later on in life. And then the dad looks at her and goes, oh, that's not what I meant. Uh-huh. And it's a great... It's a great ad about um, the three toxic men together and then they look at their little sister or little daughter and go, oh, she's going to be have her um, skirt flicked up. or And she goes, yeah, and I actually expect to be abused as well. So, oh, And the dad goes, oh, I, I, I didn't mean, you know. So, no, it's a great ad. I don't know who the advertising agency is, but they are my... Or it is my crush of the world. I think we might have to get Miss Jane, who is the producer extraordinaire, to get the link of that. We yes. can put it on our show notes, and Anna, you and I can sounds, watch it. Brendan, sounds good. That's a very good crush. Thank you, and thank you, Interchange Bench. If your business needs new players, pick them up from the Interchange Bench, the leading provider of temporary and contract talent. You can go to interchangebench.com.au. And remember, potties, for talent so good, you'd wish you could keep them. Like I would like to keep Brendan and Anna and send Caro on her permanent holiday. No, not really, just joking. Visit the Interchange Bench, guys. Brendan, thank you for joining us in this most busy week or well, month, really, for you. No beeping problems. <laughs> I just heard the F bomb last week. I thought I'd drop one. It was your wife. It wasn't me. And I just want Kevin from Geelong, who says oh I'm loose, God. to remember that. <laughs> Working blue. <laughs> Goodbye, Thanks for Brendan. coming in. Have a great election, Brendan. Thanks, guys. Anna, now it's time for the op shop update. Brendan will be very sorry that he's not here for this. He loves this. He loves the bones. He always asks me about the bones. Now, first of all, before I even start, can I please do an op shop plug? Oh, please do. We love a plug here for a good cause. Now, this is a plug for the Sacred Heart Mission Chapel Street op shop event. And it's on Thursday, November the 29th, which is the day after the live podcast. So you could come to the podcast on the Wednesday and then pop down to the Oppie on the Thursday. It's a 6pm kickoff at 86 Chapel Street, Windsor. And it's not an auction, but it's a collection of items that we've got to for sale, including fabulous furniture, vintage wares, designer gear, great art curated by Des, and an amazing stack of bric-a-brac that we've been stockpiling for years. So it kicks off at 6. There's chicken sandwiches made by me and my sister Julie, and it should be fabulous. Can we buy a glass of wine there? There will be champagne. Well, you should say a, a coin donation for the wine. I, think I know you're not allowed to charge if you don't have a licence, but you could ask no, for a coin donation. there are problems there. I think there might be a raffle. I, I'm not in charge of that sort of thing. I'm just backroom It sounds girl. great. No, it'll be fabulous. And normally we have an auction, but this year we're not. We're just putting prices on things and it is what it is. So, I, lo- I love Des uh, curating the art mm, section. The, arts, be very good. the <laughs> art's actually fabulous. It's stockpiled upstairs. It's fabulous. But I also just thought... And what's the address again? Just remind 86 us. 86 Chapel Street, Windsor. Perfect. So it's down, you know, between Dandenong Road and High Street. It's, it'll we're be, there. No, it'll be really fun. Um. Also, I just wanted to say, apart from the bones, we have had some other recent rather kooky donations. I've made a very oh, yes, short God, list, God, if so, you I don't mind. I love this part, please. Um, a baby grand piano, which was extraordinary in the most beautiful condition, 
and it got a real workout by the customers. And I'm here to say Stairway to Heaven still rocks. The most popular song ever played on the piano. A taxidermied black ferret, which was snarling and scary, like absolutely revolting. Why would you want it? Horrible. Good for Halloween, though. I suppose, but it was really revolting. Um, A good supply of willow pattern china, which really, let's face it, the bread and butter of any good op shop. Monopoly, a Beatles, the um, band, Beatles-inspired Monopoly, which was pretty groovy. How does that work? Well, you know. Penny Lane. Penny Lane. There's a lot of strawberry fields, you know. Wow. (laughs) Abbey Road. Did someone make it themselves? No. It's an official Mattel toy. Yes. And I think probably limited edition. It's really fabulous. That'll be for sale. Oh, $500 Um, potties. Totally. Um, Cartier belt buckles, funky Gucci boots and poochie dresses was an incredible donation. So that'll all be for sale. And we did get, which was fascinating, a box of newspaper front pages of significant historical events. So there was Man on the Moon, Kennedy assassination, Elvis's death, and a 1947 paper featuring Liz and Phil's wedding. And I thought, imagine if you bought them, framed them, put them down your hallway. Like they were really fantastic. And you know how sometimes that little moth or weevil thing gets into paper? Are there any evidence of that? No, there is a bit of that, a bit of browning. But still, what a collection that someone's... I know. And my final thing, which I thought was incredible, is a huge old Chinese gong, you know, that's definitely come from a temple. Like, you know, one of those big things... You know, you see. Imagine you ringing it, Chris, yeah. dinner. Come Dong. on. <laughs> and I also just want to say, meanwhile, down the road from the op shop, I noticed that the Pixie Skase auction event is on at Leonard <laughs> Joel's. And I think the title I of the auction did, says I it all. I did see that mm. plug. Um, a life of luxury. Some of the highlights that we don't have in the op shop, but Pixie's flogging, are Christopher's monogrammed Louis Vuitton briefcase. A steal at fifteen hundred. Uh, a Hermes library ladder, as you do, because you need that for your library for three thousand, and a pro heart. Oh well, no, I don't want the pro no. heart. Never been a fan. No, I don't like pro and a lot of costume. I like jewelry. the library ladder, but Hermes? Three, Hermes. Don't they make scarves? No, and well, she did have every scarf in every conceivable colour and jumpers. So she's the full Hermes. Bird. And she's selling all of that as well. Her clothing. Everything's up. For sale. Goodness me. Mm. So there are the two, you know. Pixie must be in her 70s now, I would have thought. She's been back in town for a while, I think. Gosh, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, oh well, there you go, yes. Potties. Off to Pixie's Skate. <laughs> Just so see Pixie's Skate's. Yes, come to the op shop Intimate. or go to Pixie's. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I think I'd actually I'd rather go to the op shop, Anna. I don't want a Hermes library. But I wouldn't mind the stuff there. No, that is just no. only joking me. <laughs> Anna, it's time for BSF, and I'm going to kick it off because I have a book. Yes. My book is, did you ever read The Dry by Jane Harper? I did, and I actually loved it. Yes. Well, Jane then, uh, that I think she wrote that in 2016, and then 2017 was Force of Nature, which was also a bestseller. And now her third book, and I think actually her finest book, has just arrived on the shelves, and it's called The Lost Man. The Lost Man, Anna, you will love it. It is a family saga and a thriller set on a remote cattle station in central Australia, in outback Queensland. But don't let your eyes glaze over there because <laughs> she, has, she has such a talent in bringing you know, outback and yeah. rural Australia to us. She does it so well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Three brothers share the adjoining fence lines, and when the middle brother Cameron is found dead, his body is found by an old stockman's grave out in the middle of Whoop Whoop. The suspicion then envelops the family, and it's not so nearby community. And everybody's pointing the finger. How did Cameron die? Somebody must have been responsible. And so we follow the puzzle via Nathan Bright, who is the eldest brother. He's a bit of a black sheep. But he's that sort of flawed hero. We know he's going to get there in the end. He has a failed marriage. uh, And because of that marriage, um, he actually forwent his uh, property involvement in the family farm because his father-in-law had a property next door. Unbeknownst to Nathan, it was a dud property. The father-in-law never liked him. So Nathan's been struggling on this property for years. Anyway, when Cameron is found dead, of course, Nathan comes back into the fold um, to look after the family, get the funeral organised, and of course, it's just at him, what has happened to my middle brother? 
There are a couple of terrific characters. Uh, Nathan's teenage son, who is lives with his mother in Brisbane, but he's visiting his father at this particular time. He is involved. Bub Bright, who is the much younger brother of Cameron and Nathan, he's of course jealous of his two older brothers. He's felt a bit out of it all these years, and he is now very uncertain who is going to inherit all the property. And then there are the hardened women folk, as there always are in these cattle properties, Ilsa, who's Cameron's widow, and Liz, the matriarch, the mother who suffered a lifetime of hardship until her husband died a few years earlier. This book has it all. Anna, you will love it. And in fact, just as an early plug, in three or four weeks, we will be running our interview on The Book Pod, which is our little sister program. Which I love. Oh, thank you. With Jane Harper. She was our guest a couple of days ago. And Miss Jane and I are going to edit that and put that to air in a couple of weeks. So I think everybody will love that. But that's the book, The Lost Man by Jane Harper. It sounds fab. And I absolutely love the drive. Oh, well, look, bestseller internationally. Yeah. And she sold the film rights too. Oh, it's going to make um, a great film. To Reese Witherspoon's gang. So I don't know whether it's going to be a film or um, a television series, a series. But anyway, yeah. there we go. Now, you've been off to the films. I have. I've seen Red Joan as part of the British Film Festival. Joan, J-O-A-N. Yes, Red Joan. Oh, as what in a good Connie. title. I oh, know. It's a wartime spy drama inspired by the life of Melita Norwood, the KGB's longest serving British spy. Who knew? Who, ne- how never heard of her. I know. So I, it was fascinating from the get go. It stars Judy Dench, who, as far as I'm concerned, could read the phone book, and I'd be completely riveted, as the octogenarian widow who's arrested in her London garden and charged with treason. So that's the opening scene. And the film is told in a series of flashbacks, starting with her recruitment at Cambridge, where she was reading physics just before World War II. And look, just an aside, but what is it with Cambridge? Is there any study ever undertaken or is it just a spy grooming playground? Just (laughs) every... I mean, it's just Cambridge spy. There you go. Anyway, Joan slips nuclear secrets to the Soviets on the sly. That's a story. It's essentially a love story. Sophie Cookson plays Joan in her early adulthood and the handsome Tom Hughes. Do you know him? Oh, yes, I do. He's the charismatic, bolshy love interest. The reviews were so-so. The Guardian, I thought pretty cruelly, said Dench is, quote, a pensioner pulled up for her wartime sympathies in a stodgy espionage drama that can't disguise its mediocrity. I'd completely disagree. I thought that was way too tough. I loved it. It stars Judy Dench. She quotes Shakespeare got to be worth the price of admission. <laughs> There's the popcorn paid for. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, uh, so you disagree with the Guardian um, mm. review. Um, what Was it full or do, pe- do you think people really take those reviews to heart and they stay away? Was well, the cinema full? It was completely full. It's part of the British Film Festival. We had to get the tickets. We asked you, but you couldn't come because you were off winking. But um, no, it was absolutely chocker. I only read the Guardian um, review yesterday when I was thinking about what film I was going to talk about, and I was shocked because I thought Judy Dench's performance was layered. It was fabulous. And does she appear often in the? Yes, it, it's told from her perspective, and it's all flashbacks. But she's she's in it more than half the time. Sounds great, and Red Red Jones. So Red when, Jones. Will it, when will it have um, general release? Well, I think probably a couple of months because you know the film festivals. They're always you know you just get a sort of handful of films and then months later you think, oh, it's on general release. All right. One to watch. Red Definitely Giant. one to I watch. will certainly be going to that. And what's your recipe this week? Now, this is actually delicious and easy. It sounds weird, but it really works. It's called pastrami salmon with horseradish mash. And it's a dual duplay recipe. And she's rejigged the traditional Jewish pastrami spices traditionally used for curing beef to work on a fresh salmon fillet. So oh, it sounds yum. It's yum. So for four, you need 180 grams of salmon fillet, which is quite small, but you know salmon, it's sort of meaty with the skin off. So you need four of those. You need 800 grams of spuds peeled and chopped, butter, milk, olive oil, and the trick, two tablespoons of horseradish cream. So the pastrami, hard word to say, spice rub, it's easy, it can be made in advance and stored in a glass jar. So you need one tablespoon coriander seeds, one tablespoon black peppercorns, one tablespoon mustard seeds, and one tablespoon brown sugar, a teaspoon of sea salt, a teaspoon of smoked paprika. 
Oh, what a yummy mix. So it's, it's easy so it's, and it's, it's like yummy. It's like a rub. It's, it's like, like a, a rub. Yeah, so you, beautiful. So to make the mix, you toast the coriander and mustard seeds with the peppercorns in a fry pan sort of until over medium heat, you know, until mm, it, Don't burn them. Don't burn them. And the mustard seeds will start to pop. So turn that off. Then you literally add that with the sugar, salt and paprika and grind in, you know, like a mortar and pestle or a spice grinder, whatever you've got, or just get a spoon and sort of smash it. So it's sort of chunky, but the peppercorns are a bit ground down. And then you brush the fillets with olive oil and you press the fish firmly in the spice mix, covering all the sides. And you can even do that, according to Jill, the night before. So you're pretty organised on your recipe. Then you just make your mashed potatoes, however you make them, but add the horseradish cream, and that just gives it a bit of warmth. I love so that idea. That's really yummy. Then you cook the salmon as you do, you know, so it's still pink in the middle, and then you serve on the bed of mash with the green beans and rocket salad. It's completely delicious, and the spice mix can be used on chicken, lamb, pork ribs, eggplant and mushrooms. And the and the horseradish mash you could use for lots of things. Oh, and I've done it with sweet potato mash. The only hiccup, for me anyway, is the cooking in front of guests after a couple of convivials. I'm not normally getting out the fry pan. and So that you have to sort of put down the champagne glass and think, right, fish, here we go. So that can be tricky. But if I can master it, trust me, anyone can. That sounds a really great recipe. No, it's good. Um, <laughs> Now, you're grumpy about something today. You don't look grumpy. You look beautiful in that dress, oh, by the way. It's a very thank pretty you. <laughs> dress. And you've got a smile on your face. I can't imagine you're grumpy. Do you know, I'm grumpy. It sounds weird, but I'm grumpy about the overuse of texting. I'm grumpy that, and I can be at fault with this too, but, you know, where's the line in the sand? People are now texting for all manner of things where they should pick up the phone or come and see you and look you in the eye. I mean, I got text an apology the other day, and I'm outraged. I think the person should have come round, looked me in the eye and said, I'm sorry. I think you don't say, I'm sorry on a text. I think it's wrong. I think you don't ring up at work and say, I'm not coming in, I feel sick. You pick up the phone. Like, we've just become, it's too easy to just pick up your own phone, text off. I think we're just losing the balance between... And, and therefore, we're losing the subtleties of human behaviour. Oh, and of and how to and feel yes. things, how to say, I'm sorry that your father died. Totally. I mean, my mother doesn't want to learn to text because she said to me, I want to hear your voice. I mean, I've offered, I've said, Mother's Day present, I'll show you how to text. She said, no, I want to hear your voice. <laughs> I want to see you. No, but you know, she, I mean, I wanted to I get into if my them. kids could teach me how to use Netflix for Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know it's a weird grumpy, but I just feel that we've just gone way too over dependent on use on the phone. And it's just, you know, yeah, we're just losing I, those subtleties of seeing people, looking I, people I, in the I, eye. I, I absolutely agree. Uh, but I wondered about, Francesca and I had this discussion actually not long ago, because as you know, she's just recently had the second baby and lots of love and you know, things were flowing in and she's pretty manic for the first couple of weeks. And she said, do you think a text message will suffice totally. before I get to writing notes or anything like that? I and think, I said, yes. look, I'm not sure what the etiquette is. We actually had a discussion about it and we decided that busy mother of two little ones, you could probably just dash off a of text course. rather than possibly forget to ever send a note. Oh, and find a stamp. I mean, I'm not such I, an I old... hope she. I hope she texts you, by the way, for your <laughs> lovely gift. <laughs> no. No, I mean, I'm not such a harridan. I think we've got to go back to the old days. But I just think we're just losing the whole art of communication. And, I mean, there's so many people are just alone, solo, just texting away. When if they actually came out of their homes and had a bit of communication with people, I think their lives would be a lot better. I agree. I'm happy with you, Grumpy. Yeah. I'm grumpy about we're that grumpy, too. but, yeah, it's just a... No, good one. Six quick questions, Anna. Now, I think I'm starting off and I'm saying, Corrie, I just want to know, why was the Caulfield Cup in your house? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, yes, mm. that was on. I did put that on the um, my own personal Instagram because I actually just could not believe it was there. So as you know, Will, my son, works for Godolphin and they won the Caulfield Cup. And after all of the palaver was over and the speeches and he's been organising the media to talk to the trainer and all of that kind of thing, he sort of turns around and there are a couple of people and someone said, well, Who's going to take the cup to the dinner? <laughs> Who's babysitting the cup? William was actually supposed to come to our house for dinner, for Saturday night dinner. I had the Ballarat gang down. The babies were down. He wanted to see his nieces. 
Coco actually said, I'm coming over too. So we had full dinner and he rang and said, I can't come to dinner, Mum. We've just won the Caulfield Cup, so there's a big Godolphin thing in town. But I'll call in quickly to see the little girls. And he arrives at the door with this big, beautiful timber box, which looked like one of those massive cigar cases. I thought, oh, cigars, that's a bit over the top for the Caulfield Cup. And inside, lo and behold, was the cup. The trophy. For the 20 minutes while he was holding the little girls and all that kind of thing. But Anna, the clagger was that I had, Harriet had been misbehaving with her dinner, just refusing to eat the beautiful risotto that we'd made her. So in the end, as a good grandmother does, oh, stuff it, have a Vegemite sandwich. (laughs) So she was covered top to toe Mm. in Vegemite, wanting to hold the cup. And I just thought I had visions of the shake, you know, picking up the coffee. What's that black tar? (laughs) Tarnishing the... What are those little fingerprints on, on my cup? Rather smelly. So we just very quickly packed it away and said to Will, off you go, off to the dinner before anything terrible happens. Yes, so that was a bit of fun, not what you expect. We're going to have a bit of a race theme, I think, with our six quick questions today, Anna. So I just want to ask you about Derby Day. Are you a car park or a birdcage or living room with Bruce and the Channel 7 gang kind of girl? I used to be... um a Derby Day queen, but now I'm the living room with Channel 7 and especially with Francesca Camini. I just absolutely love her. We love her. Love her. Love everything dre- about and her. she always dresses her so gear. sensibly, doesn't love she? Love her headgear. Love what she says. Absolutely love her. And because this is the last year with Channel 7, I think, so I will be completely tuning in and I'm going to the beach with my sister and my mother, because my husband appears to be in Brazil for three weeks. So it will be lovely just to have the mini <laughs> was break. Was that a sudden decision? No, it wasn't. He it did wasn't. tell me he was going there surfing when I ran into yes. him in the street. Exactly. So, no, I will be at home with the box on and just kicking back. And, and got your form guide. Yes, totally. I'll be doing exactly the same thing. And I want to ask you, Corrie, what is your was or is your favourite Derby Day outfit? Oh, look, long time since I've been to the races, Anna, but I um, – I have to say, do you remember when your sister Julie was making hats? I certainly do. I bought a beautiful straw hat with pale green flowers on it, artificial flowers, such a beautiful hat. And I didn't have anything to wear with this hat. And I thought, oh, who cares about what you actually wear? It's all about the hat. The hat. But I found a dress in a fabric that just suited it beautifully at Portman's of oh. all places. This was probably about... Oh, I don't know. I think I had two babies. So maybe it was 1991 or something like that. 1992, maybe. And Portman's, heyday of Portman's. And this fabric I have never seen again. And nor did I see it produced in any other thing other than a beautiful little airline dress. Have you still got the dress? Yeah. Do you know what? It's funny. I do. I haven't worn it. It's an an old-fashioned sort of style, and I guess it probably doesn't fit me anymore. But I would love to do something with that fabric. You should rejig it because, really, it sounds divine. Yeah, and I've still got Julie's hat too. So tell her that. I will definitely Hi, Jules. We've still got the hat. <laughs> um, Anna, what's the best piece of advice you'd be giving your children if they were off to the races this well, week? One is, and we actually were talking about it at dinner last night, I'd be saying, I have already said, don't wear your highest of high heels. Take some money to get home. Don't drink too much. And don't do a Kath and Kim round about the ladies' lavatories. <laughs> Gosh, we've seen some scenes at those Portaloos, haven't we, oh. over the years? Oh, my lordy. Who's your tip for the cup, just okay. quickly? Okay, so it's Cross Counter, who is trained by Charlie Appleby, and Cross Counter is a Godolphin horse. So, yes, it is an import, but I think that we should probably have 10 each way on that little one, Anna. I and final question, what is your GLT? Well, look, I know we we're talking a lot about the cup, and I know we always say we plant basil on cup day, but... A very well-organised friend of mine also says, Cup Day means start your Christmas shopping. I know that sounds weird. She says, make your list. Whether you're going to a bookshop like Corrie's and buying all your books or you're doing homemade produce or you're at the op shop, just get yourself sorted now because then when December comes, you're not shopping with that horrible music, the traffic, the insanity. You're actually having fun. Also, can I, I will add to your GLT, because there has been a recession in retail and nobody's really using the R word, but there mm. has for the last couple of years, retailers tend to be uh, ordering fewer items. So oh, if you want to get tip. in and get yeah. the really good stuff, yeah. 
going in November. And certainly in my case, a lot of the uh, international books that we buy in, I, c- I won't be able to go back to the distributor in the second week of December and say, quick, we need four more books on Yves Saint yeah. Laurent's fashion, which is $160 each or whatever it may be. But have you already got all your Christmas? All the books yeah. are out. So everything's ready to go. So I just exactly. think, do it now and then... When people ask you to lunch at Christmas, you can be having fun rather than thinking, Christ, I've got to go to Chad Rock exactly. and, and do some and all, dreadful and all, shopping. And all the shops are fulsome. Yeah. So, oh, good local yeah. tip. And uh, it's right. been so lovely having you. I've picked up heaps of ideas today. <laughs> Thank I you, Corrie. you, Miss Jane? Loving that horseradish mash. <laughs> no, that is – I've actually served it up to Brendan and Cara. I was disappointed he wasn't here to say, yum. There wasn't – every plate was um, – Licked. Completely licked. Good. Oh, that's always a good sign of a good mash. Uh, don't forget, everybody, as Anna mentioned earlier, if you're in Melbourne on November the 28th, please join us for our first ever live podcast event. We're raising funds to assist the work of BCNA, and we would like to just take this opportunity to, to thank our sponsors, the Interchange Bench, and also the gang at the Flying Duck Hotel in Paran, who are making this event available and allowing us to give all the funds to the BCNA. For tickets, head on online to trybooking.com and just search for Don't Shoot the Messenger or we've got uh, details in our show notes and also the Facebook page. Thanks again, Interchange Bench, for being our friends. We love our association with you. And, of course, at the end of the show, you will be hearing a little snippet of our sister podcast, The Book Pod. You're probably wondering why that's been popping up in your feed the last couple of weeks. Well, we are three episodes into this new adventure and Miss Jane and I are having a lovely time, and I think in a week or two we're going to be joined in the booth with Caroline asking questions too of an author. But our show at the moment is with former pro golfer and course designer Mike Clayton and the golf journo Charlie Happel, and they join me in talking about their new book, Preferred Lies. It's such a great book, and it's a great Christmas gift. Leanne Moriarty was our first guest. You're a bit of a fan of hers, Anna, aren't you? I am. Yes, you should have come in and met her. She was very nice. We had a lovely time. And then, of course, we had a big pin-up of mine, Laura Tingle. So we've got many exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks. We hope that you'll join us. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Don't Shoot the Messenger and also the book pod. If you like what we're doing, please tell a friend. Please rate us. We need as many subscribers as we can to keep going. And we love your feedback, so please get in touch with us via email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And, of course, don't forget the Twitter and Instagram. The Instagram has now changed its identity to the book pod. The, well, no, what is it no. called? Um, no, what's it called? Don't Shoot Pod. I'm on to it. I've got, I, sh- yeah. I've got so many pods. I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, I'd just like to thank Jane again. Miss Jane, you are the most wonderful producer. And Anna, it's been so lovely having you again. Thank you for having me. I've loved coming on. And to Brendan in absentia, he has a very busy couple of weeks ahead. Thank you, everyone. And Anna, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Hi, I'm Mike Clayton. Hi, I'm Charlie Happel. And join us for episode three of The Book Pod with Corey Perkin. Golfers, especially professional golfers, are mostly psychotic, so there are endless stories about the mad things that have happened on the tour. You need to have a a major in psychology, you need the skin of a rhinoceros, you need the motivational powers of Winston Churchill, you need all this stuff wrapped up in a a bag carrier. My brother said I should just drop in at this point that your nickname is Chainsaw Mike, but I'm not going to do that. Well, the people that call me that never seem to see the trees we plant. What are your thoughts, just off topic slightly, of Greg Norman posing nude? Good call, bad call? We agreed on that, wouldn't we? Bad call. (laughs) It's been a dick, right? (laughs) Why? Why? Why Why would you do it? Nick Faldo tweeted one word, why? Join Mike Layton, Charlie Happel and Corey Perkin for Episode 3 of The Book Pod, dropping this Friday, the 26th of October. Subscribe to The Book Pod wherever you get your podcasts.